Our passage this morning is uh, going to come from Psalm 127. You should know that Hal and I had a bit of a mix-up a few weeks ago. He actually suggested that I preach Psalm 126 to you. And by the time that he and I figured it out, I had already put enough work into this sermon and either didn't have time or the guts to change direction. Um, if you want to know what Psalm 126 says and what Hal wanted you to hear, you can go read that later. Um, but for now, you know, I'm a, I'm a convinced, uh, reformed Presbyterian. So I believe that God wants you to hear me preach from Psalm 127 this morning. So with that in mind, uh, let, me, let me read this for us uh, from our bulletin. Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows. In the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now please pray with me. God, it is our great privilege that by the blood of your Son we can come here this morning into your presence and sing praises to you, but now uh, we need to hear a word from you, Lord. We need you to speak to us. I pray that by your Spirit, my lips would speak your words to your people this morning. We ask this in the name of your Son, the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, it is uh, January 3rd. Uh, it's a new year. This is a time for, for planning, a time for strategizing, a time for, for New Year's resolutions. Um, but, you know, New Year's resolutions, they're, they're this funny thing that everybody does, but everybody knows they don't work. Or, or at least there's, they don't work enough that you can joke about, how the fact that they, about the fact that they don't work. So how does a tradition so notorious for not actually working uh, get to stick around? Why do, why do people continue to do this? Well, I think, I think at least part of the reason is it just gives us a way to forget about last year. We can pretend it didn't happen and move on. But I think the real reason is that we just live in a world of uncertainty. And we're just happy to have some kind of expectations, even if they're the ones uh, that we made up. We're really glad to have some sense of what's coming down the line. I mean, I think this is, this is why people look at horoscopes, even if they don't believe them. They just like the idea of knowing something about the future in an uncertain world. So as you think about 2016, my question for you this morning is, is the providence of God even on your radar does it have anything to do with your resolutions? Do you consider the sovereign pleasure of God a concept 
or does it dominate all your planning? Does God's providence tower over all of your efforts? Psalm 127, uh, you might have noticed, is a song of ascent. It's one of a group of 15 psalms, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. It's also uh, the central psalm in that grouping. There are seven before it and seven after it in that group. I might come back to that toward the end of the sermon. But this kind of song was sung during a trip. It was sung on the voyage to Jerusalem for the pilgrim feast three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. These are also called pilgrimage psalms because of the way they were used. They were sung together, certainly in worship and praise to God, but our worship is also formative. So these psalms were teaching them and reminding them about the nature uh, of their pilgrimage, about the fact that they were pilgrims and just where it was they were, they were traveling to. This is a psalm about God's involvement in our everyday life, in your house, in your city, in your workplace, and in your family. So it's highly practical, and as I hope we'll see, it's also deeply theological. And those two, should, those two should always go together, never be far apart. But more specifically, this is a psalm that is about security. It's about the constant search for security and the only way to really get security. This is a search that is common to humanity. We all want to know what the future holds. We all would really like for it to be in our favor, but what we learn in this psalm is that man cannot establish the security that only comes from God. You cannot establish the security that only comes from God. We're going to look at three aspects of this security this morning. We're going to see the futility of self-established security. We're going to see an example of security as it's received. And lastly, we'll see that true security is found in the Son of God. So first, let's look at the futility of establishing your own security. Right away, in the beginning of the psalm, we see that there are free, excuse me, three fruitless searches uh, for security. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. You see, it's not, it's not by the skill of your labor that you can find true security. And these pilgrims, they would have... They would have known this firsthand. This is a post, uh, post-exilic psalm, probably used at some point after they had seen the temple destroyed. It may, have been, it may have been used during the time when they were actually reconstructing the temple, but in either case, they had firsthand experience that the labor of their hands was not enough to create lasting security if God wasn't around. They knew that they couldn't have security by increasing their protection or increasing safety standards. They knew that no army could protect Jerusalem if God removed his favor. 
And since it's 2016, uh, I should add, and you should already know, that no politician can give you security. But lastly, they, they had to learn, and I, I really think that we need to learn, that they couldn't get security by simply doubling down, by working more hours. You see, you cannot ever effort your way into any real security. But why, but why is it that these things are vain? I mean, there's, nothing, there's certainly nothing wrong with having skill. There's certainly nothing wrong with planning and, and working hard. All these things are, are commended uh, in the Bible. But what we have here is not a contrast between working uh, and not working. It's a contrast between work that is useless and work that is fruitful, lasting, and purposeful. You see, it's not, as, it's not as though God wants you to step aside and watch while he swings the hammer and builds the house. Now the, again, the Bible commends hard work, but the question is, work to what end? Work for whom? If you're seeking to establish your own kingdom, things can appear a little more straightforward for a while. You know, you, you, you really can save enough for retirement. Um, but how will that help you in 2116? You see, some of you, some of you aren't worried in the least about your security because as far as you can see, you have things very much under control, but our problem is that we, we become nearsighted. You know, I was born in 1981. I can't remember things before then. Um, I, I tend to not be able to think much far past a couple years from now. Um, but when you become nearsighted, what happens is you're really not living uh, in reality. You're, you're living in sort of a made-up world where you are at the center. And you can work as long as your body will let you but it will still be dust one day. What we need to have, what we need to begin to get is a proper perspective with God at the center. We've been learning all fall that God is, he's our creator. He's the one who's sovereign over your future. It's his prerogative to bless whom he will and to bless them how he will and to think that the future uh, depends on you. It's just futility. You see, you just got here. You are, you are a character in a story that God has been telling for all time. And as James reminds us, your life is a vapor. It is a mist that vanishes and it will be gone before you know it. And we have to ask, what was it for? Is there any, is there any security in living for what you can see when it will all be gone so soon. In my sermon preparation last week, but especially this week, you know, I'm reading this psalm over and over again, and I want to do a good job, I think for good reasons, and then maybe for mixed reasons, I, I really don't want to make a fool out of myself. 
And over and over again, I read, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And over and over again, I still find that, I, that I'm not really praying the way I ought to be for this sermon. I'm not really asking God to bless you through this sermon. Uh, my tendency is to grind, is to bear down to get my stomach into knots trying to figure out how I will preach a good sermon. Um, why, why do we do this to ourselves? I mean, you, are, you already know that you're supposed to trust God. I'm not, I'm not telling you anything new when I tell you to trust the Lord. Yet we're, we're just so tempted to live by the things that we can see. And we're so tempted to live for ourselves. And in, in your short-sightedness, you begin to think that you can actually engineer your own security. And you might even find that it's just easier to trust in your engineering than it is in this God that you cannot see. And what this psalm is telling us, what we need to learn is that we need to be humbled. We, we need God to show us the futility of all our efforts. Maybe, maybe if we, if we became humble people, we would be people uh, that pray. From, from beginning to end of all our efforts, they would be covered in prayer, and we would not seek to be really dependable people, but people who lived in dependence, who lived on our knees, with a constant sense of the futility of all of our efforts without God. You know, it's when you think that the world depends on you that you actually start to become anxious. That's when, that's when what could be good labor turns into what the ESV translates as anxious toil here. And the psalmist is very quick to remind us, God gives his beloved sleep. He gives you rest. And in fact, uh, there, there's a way you can read the Hebrew. I think it's actually a better, a better way to translate this verse is that God gives while you sleep. So that in stark contrast to the vain labor of bearing down, of trying harder, God provides for you while you sleep, just like he does when you're awake. It's always God who does the providing. And every night when you go to sleep, it's a daily reminder of your utter dependence that not one of us can establish any true and lasting security for ourselves. So if I can't get security for myself in the, in the way that I'm hardwired... <laughs> to really want it, well, then what do we have? What we find in the psalm is that security is received. Look with me at verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, the, fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. 
You see, what, what the psalmist is saying is you, you, can't, you can't effort your way into security. Behold, I have an example for you. An example of what security looks like, of how it, of how it really works. See, in the ancient world, not that different from maybe, maybe 50 years ago, <laughs> but certainly in the ancient world, children uh, provided care and assistance for their parents. They were practically, uh, they were the social security of the ancient world. They, they helped take care of you when you got old. <laughs> Some still do. Um, but notice in verse 5, too, there's this, there's this mention of the gate. Uh, the city gate is where, is where court would have been held. Uh, the city gate is where you would have had, to have had to hear an accusation, maybe, that was brought against you. And to have many righteous sons not only would have been a great defense, it would have been a great display uh, of your own uprightness. So that, that may not feel like it really translates to you. That might feel uh, very ancient. But what the psalmist is saying is, here's an example of security, but there's some things we need to notice about this example. The main thing is that this example of security is a gift. It is not earned. It is a heritage. It is a reward. It is a blessing. It comes from the outside. It's also not just the fruit of chance. I mean, based on Based on our nursery numbers, I trust that most of you understand the human participation element in having children. But they are from God. They are a gift. Anyone, anyone who's seen a baby at a hospital never says, oh, look what I deserved. I really, I, thank you, I, I really got what I've been working so hard for. No, no, no. Children are the psalmist's example to show us that security is always received. It is not a thing that is earned. But notice about this gift. This gift assumes a kind of engagement. You see, arrows arrows don't really help anyone who's not in a battle. In fact, this kind of arrow can be quite a drag if you are interested in your own kingdom. If you are Focused on yourself, you can be certain that children uh, will be a burden to you. Maybe even others' children will become a burden to you if you're focused on yourself. But the flip side is true as well. If you are focused on your children, uh, then you become an anxious and disappointed person. What we have to do is keep the big picture in view that the security that we need is for the battle it's for the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the light of the world. And children are not simply to be ornaments. They are not um, stuffed animals to be shown off to your friends and cuddled. Uh, children are to be trained and shot out. Now, for some of you, these, these may be difficult or even or even painful verses. Um, but what I want us to see, uh, what I want to make very clear, is that this is not in any way some sort of mechanical formula. Uh, security 
is not in the children. They serve as the psalmist's example of how God's security works. You see, you see to make this a, a formula actually misses the whole point that the psalmist is trying to make. And even, you know, to look at this and to say, yeah, so how many kids am I supposed to have then? is to totally flip the psalm on its head and really just reveals our desire to live by sight. This psalm is the opposite of a formula. You can imagine, you can imagine a Jewish man with 15 or 20 children. He might have every temptation to parade them around and be proud of his virility as he traveled to Jerusalem. But in public, three times a year, he sang with everyone, my children are a gift. You see, there's no room for pride in gifts. Children were to remind him, just as they are to remind us, that God is the only real provider. That security is found in the God who gives children because they are received and not earned, as we, read, as we read in Luke earlier. God is glad to give you the kingdom, but it's never earned. It's always received. And see, the reason, the reason I know that this is not a formula is because there are no mechanical formulas. God calls us to live by faith and not by sight. And it's our every temptation to trust in the things that we can see. Everything in us says, yeah, 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 but what do I have to do? How can I get it back into my hands so that I will know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow? And the psalmist wants us to see that children, they don't secure our future, but they point us to the future. They remind us that our lives are very short they remind us that God is not slow, but he is patient. And that we're to set our hope on the future. A future that is secured by his son. So again, you, we've seen you can't engineer. <laughs> you can't engineer your own security. We see that security is received. And lastly... I want to show us how true and lasting security is only found in God's Son. Now, at this point, I could just sort of declare to you or tell you that you ought to just put your hope in Jesus. And that would be a true and, and good thing to do. But if you'll stick with me, I want, I want to show you how I think there are several pointers in the text that for the original readers would have pointed them, and I hope that they point us, to put all our hope and find all our security in the Messiah. I mentioned earlier that this is a, this is a song of ascent, but it is the central song of ascent. Okay, there's seven songs before it, and there's, there's seven songs after it. Okay, that's pretty simple. It's literally the middle psalm. This would have been a way... Uh, for a Hebrew writer to show the most important thing. We tend to put the most important thing at the end, but they would, they would have put it in the middle. But further, just to add to it, the name Yahweh, or the Lord, is mentioned 24 times before this psalm and 24 times after this psalm. David 
writes two psalms before this psalm in that group and two psalms after this psalm in that group. And everything in the psalm is pointing those original singers to look to the Davidic promise that Yahweh would send his Messiah. The Davidic promise of the Messiah is what is central so in addition to that, we also, we also have an interesting play on words here. It's a little clearer in Hebrew, but you, you can catch it in English too. Uh, the words build, sons, and house all sound somewhat similar in Hebrew. Uh, I'm saying sons, by the way. It's children in your, in your translation. Um, translators are afraid to tell you <laughs> how many times the Bible just says men and sons, but uh, it's sons. Um, But all, I'm sorry, but these have similar sounds, so build and sons, they almost rhyme, okay? Uh, Which may not be too significant, but in the beginning, you've got build twice, and in the end, you've got sons twice, banam and banim. And then house has a similar Beginning, bayit. So you've got bayit, banam, and banim. And you're hearing these sounds over and over again, and they're all playing on this double meaning of house. So if I haven't lost you yet, stick with me. This is English from the rest of the sermon. House can refer to a structure. It very often, especially um, in the Psalms, refers to the house of the Lord which would have been the temple, the very place that they were traveling to, the the symbolic dwelling place of God, and all these repeated visits there year after year were just a reminder that it wasn't the real thing, but only a picture of the heavenly temple to come. But you see, house can also, it can also mean lineage. Again, often in the Psalms, we, we read about the house of David as they traveled to Jerusalem, the city of David. They would they would have remembered 2 Samuel 7 that God promised to build David a house, and that he would do so through his line, that he would give him a son who would give Israel rest from all their enemies and establish an everlasting kingdom. Real lasting security. And Interestingly, the, the writer of this psalm is also David's son. Solomon wrote this psalm. Solomon built the first temple. Solomon was charged with ruling and defending the city. But if you know anything about Solomon, he didn't take any of his own advice. And eventually, God took the kingdom away from him. But the good news here is that God kept his promise to David that there would be a greater son to come. And as they sang this psalm over and over again, they were reminded there must be, there has to be another son to come who will give us real security. And of course, we know the true son, the last great son, great David's greater son, is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Hebrews 3 tells us, while Moses was a faithful servant in the house, Jesus is the son in the house. 
We know from John 5 that Christ always did the will of the Father, that his labor was never in vain. And by his death and resurrection, the true temple was destroyed, only to be raised again in three days, and now he reigns in his body at the right hand of the Father, and by sending his Spirit, he builds his house, us, his church, of which he is the head, and he calls us his body. By continual intercession, Christ the Son watches over us, deflecting all of Satan's accusations. In 1 Corinthians 15, we have this great uh, passage about Christ's resurrection and the certainty that gives us about our own resurrection. And the the last verse of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, says, Therefore, therefore, since Christ has been raised, and you have absolute certainty that if you are in him, you too will be raised, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, it's because you are presently seated with him that you can labor for the kingdom in freedom without fear that it's all going to slip away someday. That you don't have to earn the security that you so desperately need. But it's out of the knowledge that this security is already yours by faith. That you can now get to work for the Lord in a way that will really last Martin Luther said that faith is a busy little thing. Security is always received, but it has a result in our lives. And this morning, God is inviting you to place all your hopes in an eternity that has already been secured for you. What, What would your labor... What would our labor together look like if we really believed that? How how would your plans change for this year? Would you, maybe you would be willing to give up your life if you knew for certain that you were already raised in the sun. So, as you go out this year, take this psalm with you. Ask God to rule and to overrule all your plans and that we all might find the only security in God's Son. Let's pray. God, we know that unless you press this sermon down into us, uh, these words will have been spoken and heard in vain. So we ask that your spirit would continue to work in us, continue to remind us of the great security that we have in Jesus Christ, your son, that although there's nothing we can do to get it, uh, it is freely received by faith. So God, give us faith, help us to lay hold of him. We ask this in his name. Amen.